This is Frank Falvey, and today it's my great pleasure to have Alan Earls, who is running for the town council here in the town of Franklin, Massachusetts. Uh, welcome, Alan. Thank you. It's my great pleasure to be here, Frank. We've already begun an interesting conversation off camera, so this should be good. Alan, where did you grow up? Um, I was born in Southbridge, Massachusetts, which is southwest of Worcester. I grew up in the western suburbs of Boston, first in Waltham, and then my folks moved to Cachituate, um, which is the part of Wayland where the shoe factories used to be. And um, yeah, it was just becoming exactly be. <laughs> great place. Um, and it was a great place to grow up. It was just becoming suburbanized roughly on the same timeline as Franklin, I think, although because we were closer into the city before 495 was built, we probably had a quicker influx in the 50s. Uh, but that's where I grew up. And uh, yeah, I, I lived off and on there into the 1980s, I guess. And did you go to public schools? I went to public schools in, in town there, yep. Um, at an interesting period of my first grade, we, they hadn't banned prayer yet, so everyone, including uh, the Jewish kids in class, got to, got to sing, you know, Christian religious songs. They were pleasant songs, but in retrospect, it was a, um, you know, I, I can see why. I'm amazed that that was allowed for, to happen for so long in a country that values freedom of religion. Uh, and then did you go on to college? I did. I grew up in the... Um, I, I graduated from high school in 1973, and that was sort of the peak of the era of disaffection for young people, and I was probably one of the more disaffected. I, I thought college was nonsense, and I was going to go do something. Um, so I took a couple years, worked in industry, worked all kinds of jobs, and then went to a community college for a little while, and then went back and did more work in industry, and um, began a formal attempt at a college degree part-time uh, when I was in my early to mid-20s. And um, didn't finish that till I was about 30, 31. Um, so I spent a lot of time in the College of Hard Knocks, which I'm very happy with. I met mm -hmm. incredible people. Um, you know, I, I worked for a while for a recently immigrated Greek American who didn't have much English, but he was a business genius and knew how to fix cars, and he was a wonderful man to work for. I learned life lessons and business lessons and a whole lot else, um, which was a nice parallel to the more formal education. Mm. You've worked in journalism. I have. Um, I, you know, I was a decent student in high school and beyond, uh, but never brilliant. But I was always pretty comfortable with words, liked words. I came from a family of word-oriented people. My grandfather was a was a reporter um, through much of his life in, in the central Massachusetts area, and um, I had cousins who were in the in that business too. So um, very fortuitously, I knew someone who was working at the Milford Daily News, and she wanted to expand the somewhat stodgy coverage to include popular culture and she asked me to start writing record reviews and concert reviews so I became Mr. Rock and Roll for the Milford Daily News for no money but it was great fun I got a chance to do some writing and uh, the editors over there said you know maybe you want to come on board now I didn't have a college degree at the time but they thought I could write and they thought I could find a story and they were right sometimes <laughs> um, so I went to work for them and the rest is history I worked um, as a technical writer at Raytheon for a while, and then I joined um, a startup business publication called Mass High Tech that was covering the Massachusetts miracle years when Mike Dukakis was riding our economy toward the White House. Mm. And, uh, you know, eventually ended up in freelance writing, which I've been doing for almost 30 years, which has been great in terms of, uh, um, you know, having a flexible schedule. But as my best friend said, your boss is a son of a gun, Alan, mainly me, because <laughs> I never, I never stop. It's a, it's, you know, it's a, it's a vocation. It's 
12 hours a day for per eternity. Um, but it's been fun. It's been great. I've gotten a chance to meet all kinds of people, political people, inventors. I you know, got to interview the co-founder of Apple Computer, for example, way back when, and people like that. So it's been a, a, a liberal education in the best sense of the word, just very wide-ranging. You also now uh, have the Franklin Observer. I do. Which is a uh, internet. And it is. And is it a printed? No, it isn't. Um, the AOL people several years ago start, started this news service called Patch, where they began setting up online news services for different towns. And then this year, they finally realized it, it, was, it, it had been spin, spun off as a separate company by then. But they finally realized we could just open this to people who might want to use the platform, the underlying website and software. And when I heard of that, I jumped on it immediately. I had no plans to do such a thing, but I felt like there had always been a, a, a tremendous information gap in Franklin. So much goes on, and even people who are pretty well plugged in, you people in town government, know a lot of it, but they don't know all of it. Now, I certainly don't know all of it, but under the banner of the Observer, I've been trying to go out and cover fairly obscure, you know, councils and boards that never get visitors. <laughs> They're like, who is this guy showing up here? But it's a public meeting. I go in, I try to report what I think I saw, and print it online, and people tell me they're finding it useful. And I also try to get some of the police and fire stuff that's, you know, fairly au courant that people are also interested in. I, I must say it is excellent. Well, thank uh, you. Your, your uh, uh, curiosity and your writing and the things that you cover uh, directly are related to Franklin, uh, directly uh, interesting. And this is the best way for me to find out who died in Franklin. Yes. Well, you know, that's a fundamental thing, and it's been ha very hard to find that out. People don't it know. Is. It's tragic. It is. Um, I ran into someone at Honeydew yesterday, and uh, we got talking about Tri-County, and I said, oh, did you know so-and-so, your old teacher died? And he was like, no, I had no idea. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and I was able to track that down, and it was in a few weeks ago. So I really see that as a stepping stone to the town council. Th that background gives you yeah. a not only a historic pers perspective, right. but also a, a kind of a future perspective of where Franklin is and, and maybe where it should go. Well, I like to think so. I've been involved peripherally in, in town things for 30 plus years. I was on the um, um, Industrial Development Commission way back when, Open Space Committee, Historical Commission, um, and so on. And I've tried to pay attention. Again, you know, I'm not an expert, but I try to notice what's going on and, be, and think about it. And, I, you know, I, it wasn't intended as an entree to uh, town council. I plan to run anyway. Um, but I think, I, I hope it's a useful thing for me as a candidate, and I hope people will find it and me, uh, w you know, worthy of attention. Um, but it's certainly, I, I do not intend it to be a campaign platform. I'm trying very hard. As you know, we talked about political views, and, and mine are mine, and I'm a human being, and I can't help but articulate them sometimes, but I really want this to be what newspapers in most cities used to be, pretty fair, pretty impartial, and pretty full of all the news. So I'm trying to do that even with my fellow candidates. You know, if, this is, if someone says something, whether they're someone I agree with or not, I'm going to try to report it. Um, so that's what I'm doing. What other qualities do you possess that you think will help you be a town councilor? Well, I'm a good listener. Whenever I've been in um, a deliberative body or any other kind of group, I'm usually the person that listens and listens and sometimes will say something, but usually I wait till I've heard a lot of different vantage points and I try to, 
either synthesize what other people are saying into a, a usable solution or maybe propose something that's a little out of the box. Um, and again, I don't know if I succeed in that all the time, but I, I don't come in with an ideologue's perspective or even a very specific uh, litany of things I need to, want to have done. I think in general I try to be a more market-oriented person. I, I try to look at how governments spend their money because I think it's easy to just throw money at problems. I had a great meeting many years ago with a man that Mike Dukakis had brought aboard as a consultant to get the state out of its terrible financial difficulty in the early 90s. And um, he sat down with me so I could write about what he was doing and articulate that to uh, a business audience. And he told me a great simple story. He said, when you go shopping at Best Buy or anywhere, you don't walk in and say, how much money can I spend? You walk in and say, how much can I get? You don't say, wow, widescreen TV, can I give you $1,500 for that? You say, how much is it? And can I get a better deal tomorrow? So I think that that's the approach you need to have with government. Government is, is never the enemy, um, but government always needs to be made accountable as much as possible. There are very few real bad eggs or bad actors in anything, government or private sector. Um, usually there's something in the system that is flawed that can be adjusted to make people um, be the best people they can be. And you know, in the case of Franklin, we have, a, a, I think, a town manager who's pretty effective. I think he's personally likable. Most people seem to think he's a decent chap. Um, but I think you know, a council needs to hold that individual accountable, make sure they have good marching orders so they can go out and dig a little deeper, find out where um, things could be done better than they are, or solve problems in a more creative way, and not just you know, go along, get along, which is it's, it's human nature to do that. But political leaders need to push that a little bit. From a historic point of view, what do you think is the best assets in the town of Franklin for the town? In other words, what have they done that really is great? Well, I mean, I think if you go way back, it, it was partially an accident of geography and bigger politics, but we ended up with two train stations and two f exits off of an interstate. And one of which is not handicapped accessible. Yeah, no, that's a, something I, I want to look into. I'm in touch with our Mary about that, um, Mary O'Neill, who's on the handicap council about all those handicapped issues because that's really important but nonetheless those represent tremendous assets they've really really shaped modern Franklin um, and make a lot of other things possible I mean beyond that I feel like the town has kind of grown in a very patchwork fashion and the laws that have accompanied that or legislations or in, uh, initiatives have often been very patchwork I don't know how you get to real vision but once in a while you find a community where that has happened I look at Concord or um, where I grew up, Wayland, the part where I grew up was kind of working class, but grandees with vision had moved into the other part of town earlier, and they way back set aside land for conservation, figured out how to make the town an ideal suburb, and we have not quite gotten there. I don't know if we can, um, but I think, I think we need to step back whenever we can and say, where are we going? How can we do the best with, with all of our assets? And take us to the next step. Specifically, if you're on the you town... You want specifics? What do you think I am? <laughs> Specifically, if you're on the town yeah. council, what is some of the agenda items that you would like to see uh, come to fruition? Yeah, well, there are two. One is I would love to see us re review our current charter. Um, for a time, about 30 years ago, I think, we had a bigger town council where there was one representative 
elected from each of the um, precincts and then several at large. Mm -hmm. um, I feel something like that would be better because right now, really, this is, ends up being a popularity contest. There are very different needs across the town. People in the northern end of town, maybe in a big colonial home, they have one set of needs. People on Pond Court, which I just, just drove by, which is essentially a very small urban environment in a very compact area, they have very different needs. And I think having a counselor watching out for those regions specific concerns would be very valuable in terms of making government more responsive and maybe providing some of that vision because it would we, we would have a better connection between voters and policy than we do now where it's very um, a little haphazard do you do you see that when we had a larger town council did that really increase effectiveness of representing the people, or was it right, right. simply too many people and that's trying a, to do right. uh, a job that, that might be better served by fewer people? It's a good question, and I have to confess I was probably pretty involved with career and small children when that was going on, so I, I can't, excuse me, I can't say I have a good perspective on that. And maybe it's not the right answer, but I think something like that needs to be looked at, or some other um, maybe even a mayoral form of government. I don't really like to say that because it runs against the, the grain of me thinking about Franklin as a small town. But you and I know it's a city. It's not a small city either. Well, and Franklin is actually a city right. called a town. It, exactly. But we, be, because we call it a town, we allow ourselves the illusion that it's a little quiet rural area, and it's really not. We have you know, some city problems. And well, maybe we need to be more realistic about this. that. Apparently, yeah. our population has grown, and we're now going to have nine precincts. Yes. Uh, can you see combining two precincts yeah. and have have a, a council represent that? That might be very sensible. And and also at the same time, I gather you're advocating for some councilors at large. Yeah, I think that's probably sensible. Just as you know, with any other uh, form of government, it's nice to have the breadth and the vertical and, you know, different perspectives brought in. What, what do you see as the role and purpose as you as a town councilor? What, what, what do you see, if you're on the town council, right. that y your being there is for? Well, we have a pretty specific um, policy guideline, I think, written into, um, I'm not, I think it's actually in a bylaw, I would have to check that, that somewhat constrains us into essentially a advisory role, passing certain you know, me measures involving revenue and so on. Um, I, I think, anecdotally, from what I understand from the past, there was a time when councillors, probably before Mr. Nutting became town manager, got their hands into everything and government was kind of a mess, which is why we went through several town administrators in short order, I think. So you certainly want to avoid that, but on the other hand, I think there's room for a little more activism. A town manager um, you know, the best town manager is still going to try to preserve his or her job, which means you don't rock the boat too much. You don't turn over the flat rocks to find out what's underneath, unless there's a really good reason. So I think uh, an active and maybe well-led town council, too, maybe there's a role for a stronger chairperson, I don't know, uh, could be more influential and, and help guide the, the, the town toward its being its best. Capital expenditures will be considered uh, shortly uh, in not, uh, October, November. Yep. Uh, what is your view of where we are in capital expenditures, 
and I have a sense that a lot of schools that have been built are paid for now, and 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 we put a lot of money into capital expenditures. But do you have any specific plans or thoughts on that? No, I don't. I mean, I've, I've tried. I try to stay away from specifics. Maybe some of it's laziness. Also, it's a realization that if I get elected, by the time I get there, things may have changed. And I also don't like to make people promises I can't keep. Um, I, I don't. I'm really essentially ignorant when it comes to the current capital expenditure expectations or needs. But you did mention the schools, and that's you know that's kind of a bugaboo for me. We we, we had, a, a, obviously, a student increase in the early 2000s. We went out and built lots and lots of schools. I was one of the people who definitely said to anyone who would listen, you know, the, the, the demographic curve in the town is already looking like it's going to level off. Couldn't we just use temporary schools, uh, temporary, you know, classrooms to stretch the schools we have? Which so we did. We did, but we perhaps could have done it more. I don't know. I'm not, again, I'm not an expert, but now we have surplus schools, um, and the people actually, you know, proposing that we should bring in more people to Franklin just to fill the schools, which seems to be, you know, um, putting the cart before the horse, I guess. The coronavirus money from the federal government yep. to the town, yep. not to the schools, but yep. to the town, do you know how much that is? And let me point out what irks me is that we can't use that money to pay bills right. that we already incurred, right. which seems to me to be pretty ridiculous. But the money, uh, I'm not sure how much money is there, and, right. and if you know, but how should we use uh, that money? And as a town councilor, right. what are your ideas about well, that? Again, I'll, I'll confess mostly ignorance. I think I saw somewhere that it was a few million dollars, which is nice. I know it's probably helping us over some of the speed bumps we're going through. Um, and as you also notice, it's, a, it's something that's constrained. You can only spend it in certain ways. And that just puts me onto a rant because towns at one time were essentially independent entities, especially in Massachusetts. That's why we're a commonwealth. It's a common of 350 some odd towns. Um, but we're now so entrapped in um, things we're mandated to do, whether we want to or not, and or in various government grants from the federal government or the state government in which we're incented, sometimes rather well, to do things that in, or in I can't say ordinary times, but in earlier times, taxpayers would have looked askance at. But now we have this sort of engine that, that propels spending and propels decision-making. Again, almost anti-democratic in my view. Now, I don't know if we can ever turn back the clock. Perhaps we can't. but. I mean, at least recognizing the impact that those externals from the state and federal government have on us, I think, is is good for voters, good for people in government, because it's it's shaping so much of what we do. Our our um, our freedoms and our opportunities are, are constrained by that, and that, <laughs> that sort of boils me a bit. You know, it, it's I don't know. It's mm -hmm. it's a we borrow from Peter to pay Paul over and over again, and I don't know yeah. if that's the best thing we should be doing. Let me ask, what is the question that I haven't asked you that you would like to address? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I would struggle to find a really good one. I, I, I am a historically-minded person. I've been on the Historical Commission. I think our history is a strength, but we can't be constrained by that too much. We obviously have to grow 
people in our community and elsewhere are looking for places to live. So we can't stop the clock and stop growing. But I appreciate it when we're able to protect and preserve things that are historic and important to us and to our identity. And I'll just add one more thing. Okay. Uh, one thing I, I will be opining about soon, probably in The Observer, is the fact that uh, 25 years ago or so, we put in the demolition delay bylaw to protect older historic buildings in the town. But it doesn't really do much for us. It, it slows down development for six months, but it doesn't really do much. There are communities that it put in place, and now that we have the community preservation funds, this might be an opportunity. They buy aspects of a development right, like a historical home. The town might say, you can buy and sell that, but never change the facade, and here we'll give you this amount of money to ensure that that never gets changed and that gets written into the, the legal documents surrounding that property. That might be something to look at, which would really get us to where we want to be in terms of preserving. Sorry, I went on a bit. Let me ask this, you mentioned historically. Yeah. Historically, on town elections, there is no indication as to political party. Right. Um, have we reached a point that that should change and that that is important information for the voter to know? Well, it's a good question. You know, I mean, I think people could argue the point either way. There are obviously some communities where, um, I think some of the cities where people run as Democrats or Republicans. Um, because so many of the issues in our town are really apolitical unless you make them political, I think it's nice to keep that separation. It's hard to do that. When I ran last year, you know, certain aspects of who I am was brought up. I'm not ashamed of, of that aspect of me. Um, I'm actually quite the opposite. I, I think I have good reasons for the viewpoints and, and a voting record I have. But for the sake of our country, for the sake of our world, here we have an opportunity in one town, in our small ways, to find ways to work together and put aside labels or slogans that would impede that process. When I talk to people, even people that I know I disagree with politically, when we get to real bread and butter issues like the pothole, the schools, whether we preserve this tree, we often find huge room for agreement. And I think that's something we should try to build on whenever we can. Alan, if people want to support you or get in touch with you about yep. the election, uh, how, can, how will that happen? Um, I have a Facebook page that needs updating, and I believe there's also a website that links off of that. And if people want to email me, that's probably the easiest thing, alan.r.earls at gmail.com. And I, I try to respond to all my emails as best I can. I try real hard. Uh, that would be and great. Is, is there a, um, a phone number or...? Uh, yeah, I guess so. Fi my, my cell phone is a good way to reach me, 508-560-3786. Could you repeat that once sure. more for the audience? 508-560-3786. This is uh, Frank Falvey with Frank Presents and uh, one of the candidates for town council. Uh, the election will be held on what date? November 2nd or 3rd. Someone better fact check Is me it that. a Tuesday? Must be. It's a yeah. Tuesday, yeah. right? Yeah. And the polls normally are open what? I believe at 6 a.m. to 8 p.m. again, as they have been in the past. So yeah, I'll see. be there early, voting early and often, right? Right. And they'll probably see you at the polls. Let's, if let's, they have questions hope. for you, they uh, certainly can ask. Absolutely. Them. Ask away. Thanks, Frank. You're welcome. Thank you.
This program was made possible by your Franklin friends and neighbors. Good folks, just like you. Thanks for supporting Franklin TV. And thanks for watching.